0: hey this is dave the camp from anti this is anti-war news for wednesday june 28th 2023 The first story at the top of antiwar.com today. Zelensky says no Ukraine election until the war is over. So Zelensky told the BBC last week that there will be no Ukrainian presidential election in 2024 if martial law is still in effect, which means no elections, you know, until the war is over. So Zelensky's five-year term is due to end in 2024, but his comments suggest. That it will be extended indefinitely if the war is not over by then, and judging by the way things are right now, you know I don't expect this war to you know come to an end this year. And Zelensky made similar comments about Ukraine's parliamentary elections, which are scheduled to be held in October 2023, so this year. Uh, and he made these comments actually in an interview with the Washington Post last month. So when he was asked if parliamentary elections will be held this fall, Zelensky said, quote, if we have martial law, we cannot have elections. The Constitution prohibits any elections during martial law. If there is no martial law, then there will be, end quote. And I do not expect Zelensky to suddenly lift martial law while this war is going on. You know, he's consolidated a lot of power. During this war, using these authorities that he's granted himself, you know, the first major thing that he did in March 2022, uh, he banned 11 opposition parties, including the leading opposition party in Ukraine's parliament that held 44 seats at the time. So, got rid of them, um, and he nationalized the media so the government can have more control on the narrative that's being put out about the war and since then you know they've done he's taken a lot of other steps you know this crackdown on the Ukrainian Orthodox Church the one that's linked to historically linked to the Russian Orthodox Church even though they denounced the invasion and severed their ties with the church in Russia he's still been cracking down on them you know there's a priest under house arrest sanctioning the the church confiscating things that belong to the church things like that so again you know I, I don't expect him to suddenly lift martial law and the speaker of Ukraine's parliament, Ruslan Stefanchuk, he made similar comments last week, saying again, "All Ukrainian uh, law stipulates that we can't hold elections during martial law. Too bad, I guess we all have to remain in power." And of course, you know the obvious point to make about this is that we're constantly being told by the Biden administration and, and uh, people in Congress and you know all the neocons and, and the media that, oh, this is a war for democracy. We're on the side of democracy. And here you have that, uh, you know, democracy is not happening in Ukraine right now since, um, you know, Zelensky has consolidated all this control and power. All right, so the next one here, congressional hawks leverage Russia mutiny for Ukraine aid. So Yevgeny Prigozhin's brief rebellion against the Russian government has given hawks in Congress more ammunition to argue for additional spending on the Ukraine war. So their argument is that the fractures in Russia are proof that Western military support for Ukraine is working, even though the mutiny only lasted about 24 hours. Uh, And this is based on a Politico report. So Gregory Meeks, who is the top House Democrat on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, he said on Monday, quote, I would hope what the Wagner rebellion does is reinforce to members of Congress, particularly some of my Republican colleagues who were talking about not continuing funding for Ukraine, that this is why it is important to make sure that we are funding Ukraine to push forward "End quote. So again, citing this uh, crisis in in Russia as a reason to keep funding Ukraine, Senate majority leader, Mitch McConnell he told reporters that it is hard to imagine that Prigozhin's mutiny is bad news for Ukraine. And he, uh, this is another quote from him. He said, if you look around the world right now, the single most important mission of the free world should be the defeat of the Russians in Ukraine, end quote. And uh, McConnell said uh, recently, uh, maybe this was a few months ago at this point, that the most important priority for Congress for Republicans should be, uh, you know, funding this war in Ukraine. So, Representative Brian Fitzpatrick, he's a Republican from Pennsylvania, he said that Prigozhin's uprising is a sign, quote, that the U.S. must remain fully committed to assisting our friends in Ukraine with the tools they need to defeat the Russian regime, end quote. So, you know, this makes it sound like that their goal is to fracture Russia. If they're citing this as a reason to keep supporting uh, the Ukrainians. So the crisis in Russia came after the House and Senate panels approved their versions of the 2024 National Defense Authorization Act. That's the NDAA, the annual military spending bill. So it was just passed by their foreign affairs committees. It still needs a full vote in the House and the Senate, and then they negotiate the final version. Uh, but But each version is $886 billion, which is what President Biden requested. And that's because the debt ceiling deal reached between President Biden and House Republicans capped the NDAA at $886 billion for 2024, which is still a big increase from 2023. Um, But the debt ceiling deal does not restrict emergency supplemental funds, which is how the spending on the Ukraine war has been authorized. So So the Deal does not put any limit on spending on Ukraine. So, three arms industry lobbyists told Politico that they believe the Prigozhin uprising will help hawks argue for a supplemental spending package, uh, both for Ukraine and for the Pentagon. Because again, because of this debt ceiling deal, you have you know the hawks in Congress saying, "Okay, well, it doesn't limit supplemental emergency funding, so we're just going to you know, you know." pass some emergency funding just to increase the military budget, not just for Ukraine. They also want to pass some to arm Taiwan and also just to raise military spending in general. Now, this, this political report mentioned that Kevin McCarthy, the House speaker, has said he doesn't want to, he's not going to bring any supplemental funds, you know, for a vote. He doesn't want to talk about it right now. But he was talking about the Pentagon, you know, just inc- again, just increasing the overall military budget. But he, you know, he didn't say that about Ukraine. I think the way things are right now in Congress, even though you have the Democrats saying, oh, the Republicans don't want to don't support continuing the funding for Ukraine. I think right now, if the White House asked for more money, if they if they needed it, that they would get it. I I don't think there's enough opposition to stop it. So the question is, when is the White House going to ask Congress to authorize more spending? It's expected to happen soon, maybe within the next few months. There were uh, recently, the Pentagon claimed last week that there was an accounting error that freed up $6.2 billion in additional Ukraine spending. That's for military aid. Uh, so that that gave the administration some more time. So now it's not exactly clear. I would guess by the fall, maybe September, we're going to see them uh, make a request. Um, I, I think initially it was going to be around midsummer, but now I would put, I would guess again, you know, sometime in the fall we're going to see that. So. Yeah, of course, this is the reaction in Washington is, oh, look, there's some instability in Russia. That means we got to you know, keep pouring the weapons and money into Ukraine. All right, the next one here, U.S. announces $500 million weapons package for Ukraine. So the Biden administration on Tuesday announced this new military aid package, and it includes new Bradley and Stryker armored vehicles and munitions for various weapon systems. The provision of the new Bradleys and Strykers comes after Ukraine lost armored vehicles in the first few weeks of its counteroffensive, A U.S. military official said that at least 15% of the Bradleys that the U.S. provided Ukraine have been either damaged or destroyed. So this $500 million is being provided through the Presidential Drawdown Authority, which allows the U.S. to ship Ukraine weapons directly from Pentagon stockpiles. And that's what that $6.2 billion, that's an extra Presidential Drawdown Authority. So that's this. Uh, they could use that 6.2 billion to send more weapons to Ukraine directly from U.S. military stockpiles. So that can mean all sorts of different things. So, according to the Pentagon, the new arms package includes additional munitions for Patriot air defense systems, Stinger anti-aircraft systems, additional ammunition for HIMARS rocket systems, demolitions munitions, mine-clearing equipment, artillery rounds. So there's 30 Bradley infantry fighting vehicles, 25 striker armored personnel carriers, Javelin anti-tank systems, AT-4 anti-tank systems, anti-armor rockets, high-speed anti-radiation missiles, precision aerial munitions, small arms. So it's just a ton of stuff, spare parts, testing, diagnostic equipment. Uh, It's a pretty big list of things that are uh, being sent in Ukraine's way. And I mentioned in the article, again, this comes after that the Pentagon said that they have that extra $6.2 billion. But what's interesting is the Pentagon, when they announced these new aid packages now, they, they put out a fact sheet that details all the military aid that they have promised to Ukraine since the invasion, or what they're telling us, at least. You know, They could be sending them things that they're not telling us about. But the fact sheet shows that they have not factored that $6.2 billion. They haven't subtracted it from the total. Um, so who knows exactly what the story is with that. So it said since Ukraine, uh, sorry, since Russia invaded Ukraine last year, the U.S. has announced over $40.5 billion in military equipment alone for Ukraine. And their last fact sheet, which was before the accounting error was announced, uh, said that it was over $40 billion. So again, they didn't subtract that $6.2 billion. So I'm not sure if that really means anything, uh, but I just thought it was worth uh, pointing out. All right, the next one here, Lukashenko says that Prigozhin is in Belarus. So Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko on Tuesday said that that Wagner Chief Yevgeny Prigozhin has arrived in Belarus following his short-lived mutiny in Russia. So the Belarusian leader denied rumors that camps for Wagner fighters were being built in Belarus, but he did say that they were ready to accommodate members of the mercenary group. So there were reports, rumors that Belarus is building facilities for the Wagner fighters that might be going there. But he said, quote, we don't build camps for now, but if they want, we will accommodate them. As far as I can see it, they are looking at various territories. Feel free to set up tents, but for now, they are in their own camps in Luhansk, end quote. So referring to the Luhansk Oblast in Ukraine that's controlled by Russia, mostly controlled by Russia. So it sounds like they're still there, and it's not clear how many of these Wagner fighters will head to Belarus. Under the deal to end Prigozhin's mutiny, Putin offered the mercenary fighters three options sign contracts with the Russian defense ministry, go to Belarus, or return home to their families. Uh, Lukashenko said that Putin told him that those who don't want to sign the contracts can quit, you know, and that's that. So the Belarusian leader added that Prigozhin told him that some fighters will sign contracts with the Russian defense ministry and that others are looking to go home. So again, we don't know exactly how many are going to be going to Belarus and in what capacity they're going to be in there as you know. So Lukashenko also detailed his mediation efforts between Prigozhin and Putin that ended the mutiny. Lukashenko said that during the talks, Prigozhin adre- agreed to drop his demand for the resignation of Russian defense minister Sergei Shoigu. And for the resignation of Valery Garisimov, who's the chief of the General Staff of the Russian Armed Forces, um, Lukashenko also claimed that he convinced Putin not to eliminate those involved in the rebellion. So, saying that he convinced Putin not to kill Prigozhin, um, so who knows, ex- you know, exactly how true Lukashenko's accounts are. But uh, it's interesting, you know, some of the things that he's uh, saying about this. Um. All right. So the next one here, Russia's FSB closes investigation into Prigozhin mutiny. So Russia's federal security service, the FSB announced on Tuesday that it closed the investigation of the uprising launched by Prigozhin. So as part of the deal to end the crisis, Putin agreed to drop the charges against Prigozhin and those who joined the mutiny. So the FSB said that it closed the investigation because the participants ceased their actions directly aimed at committing the crime. the FSB said in a statement, quote, taking into account this and other circumstances relevant to the investigation, the investigative authorities issued a resolution to terminate the criminal case on June 27th, end quote. So also on Tuesday, the Russian defense ministry said that the Wagner group will hand over its heavy equipment. Um. So, you know, whatever kind of tanks and armored vehicles and things like that that they have, and maybe artillery, they're going to be handing over to the Russian military. And a big part of this, you know, Prigozhin is claiming he did not want to overthrow the military. He said he was trying to preserve the Wagner group because the Russian defense ministry wanted them to sign uh, contracts and that would give the Russian military control of the mercenary force. So, but now it seems like a lot of them are going to be rolled into the Russian military and they might be getting, you know, all of their equipment. Um, you know, not, again, not exactly clear, you know, what they're, what capacity they're going to be in in Belarus, if there's still going to be this private mercenary force. Um, and I know they're also uh, operating Africa and I believe they said that that their Africa operations aren't going to be affected by this. Um, so if, In the speech that Putin gave on Monday night, he vowed to uphold the deal that he made to end the mutiny, which, and it seems like uh, we're seeing that happen here with FSB dropping this investigation. All right. So the next one here, Taiwan will fire on Chinese warplanes if they get too close. So the Taiwanese military has reaffirmed that it will fire on Chinese warplanes and naval vessels. If they come within 12 nautical miles of Taiwan's coast, which marks the beginning of the island's territorial waters and airspace. So the warning came after eight Chinese People's Liberation Army, the PLA, warplanes approached Taiwan's contiguous zone, which extends 24 nautical miles off the island's coast. So this is Major General Lin Wen-Huang. He is the Taiwanese Defense Ministry's Combat Planning Director. He said, quote, if the PLA side continues to ignore our warnings along the way and force their way into our territorial airspace and seas, we will actively strike back to safeguard national security, end quote. So China has been flying military aircraft closer to Taiwan in response to the island's growing ties with the U.S. The example, the big example that I always cite is the fact that the PLA used to rarely cross the median line, which is an informal barrier that separates the two sides of the Taiwan Strait. But since uh, Nancy Pelosi went over to Taiwan in August 2022, PLA warplanes regularly cross that line. So it's a big consequence of Pelosi making that trip. And while China has been flying closer to Taiwan, the Taiwanese government has not reported PLA warplanes flying within that contiguous zone or coming close to its airspace. Taiwanese officials have previously warned that their military would fire on Chinese planes that come within 12 nautical miles. So again, this is them reaffirming uh, this position. I just think it's important to point out because, again, this is all directly related to the U.S. increasing its support for... Taiwan, both militarily and diplomatically, you know, not just these uh, meetings with the House Speaker, but also the U.S. deploying troops there. And, you know, the agreement that the U.S. and China came to to normalize relations in the 1970s, you know, at the time when Nixon first went to China, the U.S. had a lot of troops in Taiwan and they had a mutual defense treaty with Taiwan. Uh, the deal that they made to normalize with Beijing was that they would scrap the mutual defense treaty, pull their troops out and end official relations. Well, in recent years, you know, they've been increasing military support. They now they sent a few hundred troops there and you have Biden saying he would defend the Taiwan if China invaded. So it's clear that the U.S. is going against, you know, many of the commitments that it made. And of course, the Hawks will say, oh, that's because China's put Taiwan under more military pressure. Uh, but i think it's pretty clear that that is in direct response to the us increasing its support for taiwan and in from beijing's view you know they're violating that the agreement that they came to when they normalized relations that's why you see chinese officials say that you know the foundation of us china relations is the situation over taiwan all right, the next one here, uh, Lee Amendment takes on arms price gouging. So this article is over at Responsible Statecraft from William Hartung. And Barbara Lee, the uh, House representative from California, she has added an amendment to the House Appropriations. Sorry, wait, what's the bill here? Oh, The Defense Appropriations Act that was just passed by the House Appropriations Committee. And this amendment would uh, look to address the price gouging that the U.S. arms makers have been doing, you know, because they can get pretty much whatever they want out of the Pentagon. And there was recently that former official on 60 Minutes who kind of blew the whistle on it, Um, even though, you know, it's very clear that it's been going on, but he kind of shared some more details about it. Um, But this proposal would require the Pentagon to report on excess payments to weapons contractors, including any actions taken to claw back overpayments or take disciplinary action against companies engaged in price gouging, as well as any cases that prompted referrals to the Justice Department for possible criminal action. Um, So Hartung says that the information required by the Lee Amendment is essential to any meaningful effort to reduce or eliminate routine contractor overcharges. And he says, on the face of it, it's hard to see how any member of Congress could oppose such measures. But, you know, we can count on the weapons industry to lobby against this. So, Barbara Lee, you know, it's a shame that she's been all in on the Ukraine stuff because she's known she was the one member of Congress in 2001, right after 9-11, to vote against giving President Bush the authorization to invade Afghanistan. And that 2001 authorization is still what the U.S. uses to wage war in Syria, Iraq, Somalia, Yemen, and countries across Africa. It's all that 2001 amendment. And she was the only one that voted against it. So, again, you know, it's kind of just a shame to see her uh, voting to send all these weapons into Ukraine. Uh, but that's it for the news for today. I just left the one up uh, from yesterday about about Gitmo. I was kind of a slow day. But, you know, when I have a slow work day, it's usually good for the world. So, you know, it's not the worst thing. (laughs) Um, But go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Jonathan Cook. Daniel Ellsberg is lauded in death by the same media that lets Assange rot in jail. One from Ted Snyder. Prigozhin's Rebellion. What just happened in Russia? That's his analysis of it. That's over at the Libertarian Institute. One from Seymour Hirsch. The Ukraine Refugee Question. Uh, that's at his Substack. One from Katya Sedgwick, the Ukrainification of the world. That's at the American Conservative. And one from Stephen M. Walt, a Saudi-Israeli peace deal is not worth it. That's over at Foreign Policy. Uh, but that's everything for today. You could always support antiwar.com at antiwar.com slash donate. Like and subscribe to the show on YouTube and share it around. Tell your friends about it all that stuff really helps us out. Uh, I appreciate all it've be get, been getting a lot of comments and I appreciate all that. Um so yeah, thanks for listening, thanks for watching. I'll talk to you tomorrow.